Welcome to the Empower Your English Learner podcast, where we explore research, instructional strategies, leadership practices, and community initiatives that move the needle for English learners in school systems around the country. If you are a teacher, a school-based administrator, a district leader, or anyone who wants to do more for this group of students, then we are your home. In these episodes, we will explore ways to actively engage English learners in learning in the classroom, how to empower them so that they can achieve at higher levels, and how to ensure that they're more engaged and connected in the school community. We look forward to going through some ideas with you in our upcoming episodes. Welcome back to the Create Solutions mini course. And today we're going to tackle challenges in public education. Now, I know when you think about challenges, you're wondering, does that speak to what's happening with the kids? Is this what hap is happening with our teachers? Is it the administrators? And I really want us to make sure that as we continue this conversation, we focus on our biggest customers. And those would be our students. So as I talk about these challenges, I really want to hone in on what are those challenges that are impacting our students. So again, my name is Sandra Blotner. I am a 26 um, veteran in the field of public, 26-year um, veteran in the field of public education, and you can reach me at innovatesolutions.us. And I'm here because education matters to me. And I want to talk through some of the challenges that I want you to be keeping in mind as we continue in future modules. So one of the challenges that's facing public education today is really around what is happening in the classroom, in the schoolhouse, right? So we're looking at some of the academic challenges that we see. We know that some of our students that come to us might come to us with poverty in their background, and they're not performing at the levels that are necessary for them to be meeting grade level standards. So that's a real challenge for us around literacy and mathematics, and it must be a focus of how can we improve this for our students. We also know that attendance has been a challenge for some of our students. Some of our students, especially during the pandemic, have had you know, a lot of challenges just showing up to school, being engaged in the classroom, um, making sure that they're actually available. Um, and I know that for many populations, I'm thinking specifically about our English learners, as well as other students in poverty, you know, when the pandemic hit, many of them faced many challenges with access to technology, which made it very difficult for them to engage in virtual learning. So that's something I think a very real challenge that we're facing in the present day right now during the COVID pandemic. But here's the thing, prior to the COVID pandemic, we still had challenges around attendance. It might have been for different reasons. It could be trauma happening at home. It could be for some of our older students, they needed to work and their parents expected that of them. So those were some of the challenges they face. 
right now in the present time, social emotional trauma is a very real thing for many of our students. We know that many of them are recovering from, in some cases, seeing family members die, seeing family members get sick, seeing friends get sick, hearing about things happening, staying at home, being afraid to come to school. These are very real challenges that our students have faced. And while they are more acute during this pandemic, we know that pre-pandemic, some of these things were issues as well. And so we want to definitely keep these challenges in mind as we think about the needs of our students. So that's one um, challenge. A second challenge that we know that is really um, plaguing many of our children in public schools is poverty. Um, and we know that when students come to us in poverty, when they don't have their basic needs met, thinking about Maslow's hierarchy, and you know, you need to make sure that you have food, you have your basic needs, you have a home, you have love, you have someone who's taking care of you, of those basic needs, when that's not happening, Many times students have a difficult time being ready for learning. So that's another very real thing that's happening as poverty is increasing in our society. This is definitely one of those challenges that is making a huge negative impact on our students. And so when I think about what needs to happen in public education, we really need to make sure that we are mitigating that. We also and this is us as educators, as teachers, and as leaders, really need to be thinking about what are those things that we're doing? How do we make sure that we focus on what is in our locus of control so that we can make sure students are ready? I'll give you one example when I think about food insecurity and the fact that some students may not have three meals at home every day. Well, we can make sure that when they're within a uh, within school with um, their teachers, um, that they have access to food. So making sure that they have breakfast and lunch. And I know that many times during the pandemic, we were also making sure that there were opportunities for students and families to pick up food so they had something to eat, especially important for those families that might have had um, family members that were not working, parents that had lost their jobs. And so very, very real. When you think about poverty, and how it might have impacted um, families, either have, when they're in shared housing situations or when they might have been moved out of their apartments, we can understand the trauma that that can cause. Another thing that I want to highlight, and this is very, um, I would say very salient for many of our English learners, is the issues around reunification. Imagine um, a mother leaving her children in a country, coming to the US, she's working, she's saving money. Um, and as she's working and saving money, she sends money home to an uncle, to an aunt, to an uncle, to a grandmother who's taking care of her child. In some cases, they make sure they go to school. In some cases, they don't. And so that can be a very real challenge when that child comes to join the mother in the United States or another country. And so, and you can imagine, because of course, life doesn't stand still, there could be other siblings there, there's that feeling of why do they get these um, privileges that, when, that I didn't have when I was back and you left me there. So reunification, 
trauma in the family um, and challenges around poverty are very real things for students in public education. And I would say that as we look at the number of students in poverty, we see that that number growing on a regular basis. So something to, that we really need to be paying close attention to. So that is challenge number two that really is impacting what is happening in the scape of public education. So challenge number three, and this is one that kind of dovetails a little bit on the other one, um, the previous one, but it's in a way it's its own area, and that is funding. So we know that there are many different funding formulas, but one thing that we know is without proper funding, there are issues with hiring staff. Um, ensuring that students have their needs met, their learning needs, when there are students that need extra supports with learning, if funding is not available, it's very difficult to have those additional supports in place. And we talked about the social emotional needs earlier, it could be that some of our students really need some intensive supports, they need some work in small groups to work on the social emotional learning pieces that they need. Without additional funding, it makes it very difficult for all of those needs to be effectively met. And we know that when students are not ready for learning, then we have that challenge of meeting those higher standards of achieving at high levels. And that then impacts students' ability to have access to opportunities. So again, challenge three is a very real one, it's very salient and very palpable in many of our cities today. And for many populations, especially those in poverty, as well as those that are learning English as a second language, right? So we really need to be thinking about what are we doing to ensure that supports are in place and that we're doing the advocacy necessary for funding so that we can make sure that these students' needs are being met effectively. So when we think about those challenges, we talked about funding, we talked about poverty, we've talked about um, is trauma that some of our students are dealing with. We do know that there are some promising practices in public education. And I wanna highlight a couple of them here for you today. And as I highlight them, just know that in the course, you're gonna be able to look at um, a handout, an infographic that will go into a little bit more detail about each of these different areas. And just so that you're able to consider what this might mean for you and for our students. So one area that I think is a very promising practice, and it is one that is challenging educators to raise their expectations and their beliefs about students, but it's the work that focuses on the growth mindset and establishing that growth mindset in all of the things that we're doing as we engage with students. And Carol Dweck talks about this. She talks about a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and how important it is that as we are engaging with students in literacy, as we engage with them about the learning of mathematics, that we have that mindset that these children can do it. And not only do the teachers have that mindset that is focused on growth, but they also help to foster that in students. They build their ability to become independent learners. Very, very important. Another big area when I think about the 21st century skills is building digital literacy across the curriculum. So we know that our students need to read and write and listen and speak, but we also know they need to be able to view. And as they're engaging with complex text, whether it be a video or a picture or a novel, or they're engaging with an article, 
they need to be able to critically analyze that um, those various um, instructional materials and be able to make sense of it, make meaning based on the expectations of the set of the uh, standards. Like, for instance, citing evidence from text, going back into a text and finding those supporting details. So important that our students are able to do that well. And they can only do that well when they have an opportunity to engage in a variety of ways with multimedia. So very, very important. I want to highlight a third practice for you, and that is formative assessments. And some of the work from Dylan Willem, he talks about the importance of formative assessments. And I know that John Hattie also talks about how important formative assessments are as one of those drivers for academic achievement. So when we think about formative assessments, what that really means is we're not just looking at that big assessment at the end of the year or the medium-sized assessment at the end of a quarter or the end of a semester, but we're looking at what are the ways that teachers are checking in to see what students are know and are able to do all, all along the way during their lessons. How do they do those checks for understanding? Where are those checkpoints? Do they have ways that they're taking anecdotal notes? Do they have little quizzes that they build in? Do they have things where they do active votes or polls where students get to weigh in? Do they have strategies where students can um, hold up their hand and say what the answer might be where only the teacher can see? So it's really important that as, if we want our students to improve in um, the classroom, in whatever courses they're in, in whatever classes they're in, in literacy, in mathematics, for example, then we've got to make sure that these, uh, these formative assessments are built into their experiences all along the way. So that's really, really important. And then with those formative assessments, for them to be most impactful, it's important that students are receiving feedback from their teachers. Effective feedback paired with formative assessments makes for powerful learning. And it's really important to make sure that's embedded. That should be part of the work of a collaborative team as they're planning instruction. They should be able to, you should see it in practice in the classroom during instruction. And then you should see teachers reflecting on what they notice based on their formative assessment data. So very important look fors as you're thinking about what to see happen, what you should be seeing happening in the PLC, as well as what should be happening in the classroom. I want to highlight project-based learning for you. And when I think about project-based learning, it's not just about, okay, everybody, we've done the learning, now let's do a little poster. Okay, everybody, we've done the learning, let's do a mobile. Okay, everybody, we have finished reading the book. Now let's do a diorama about your favorite scene. Those are projects that um, some teachers built into instruction. But what you notice about many of those, it tends to be kind of a culminating activity potentially, but not necessarily directly linked to the skills that the students need to practice that directly relate to the standards. So when I say project-based learning, I'm really talking about what is that driving question? Understanding that it really needs to be linked to real-world learning. And not only does it need to be linked to real-world learning, but it needs to be tied to the standards. In fact, when many teachers are planning project-based learning, when we're looking at the highest level, the Buck Institute um, 
of education that really focuses on PBL or project-based learning, as well as problem-based learning, really talk about that gold standard. What does that gold standard look like when students are actively engaging? They're preparing their projects to address an authentic audience. They're considering how they're doing some work along the way in collaborative teams, and they're working over time, and feedback is built into that process. And it shouldn't be that culminating little activity that doesn't really link to standards and maybe just the theme and idea, but it really should be a combination that really they build on in an iterative way so that by the time the students get to the end of their project, they've been doing that project all along the way. And the culmination is to share something with an authentic audience. So that's really the difference that I see when I think about project-based learning versus doing a project that links to um, a unit, okay? And then another promising practice that you really should be aware of to really help us get at some of those challenges that we're seeing is how are we building in this blended learning approach that help to engage our students in collaboration and discourse? So blended learning, what does that mean? Blended learning is really looking at how do we take that learning experience where students are learning didactically from the teacher, and we are also building in opportunities for students to work independently at centers with technology tools or various activities. And then they also have that time where they do some collaboration. So when you think about blended learning, we often are thinking about a rotational model that allows our students to really engage in learning. There should be lots of collaboration. There should be discourse that is planned and taking place. Many times for our English learners, who are in this setting, they also need a lot of supports built in. So they might need things like language frames. They might need some prompts some question prompts to help them. But it's really important to understand that if we're talking about students engaging in collaboration and discourse and working independently, as well as working with the teacher in small groups, it's important that we plan out that classroom very effectively. So as we continue with the uh, future courses, we're going to delve a little bit into what that instructional block might look like. So that will be one of our future um, courses that many courses that we will be putting out there for free. So I wanted to also highlight something. So we know we're still in a pandemic, and that means that there's still a lot of work that our teachers might be doing. Sometimes they're working virtually because some classrooms are being quarantined. So that's a very real, that's the thing right now, quarantine, right? Um, and then in some cases, some students are attending virtual academies right now because we wanted to give schools options so that they were able to make decisions and make sure that they kept their kids safe during these times because they might have felt they had a compromised immune system. So that's another thing that might be happening. And then in some cases, um, school systems have decided to go virtual for a period of time. So it could look like a variety of ways, but when teachers are in this remote setting, we really just want to emphasize a couple of ways that teachers can engage students effectively. Again, I do have a handout for this one that's available via the course. So look at it a little closely to get a little bit more details about each of these. 
activating the learning for students just like when they're in front of you in the classroom is absolutely important and there's so many ways you can do it you can do it with an active vote you can use a mentimeter you can use padlet there's so many ways that you can make sure students are engaging and often when you're doing the activating of learning it might be linking what they've learned before kind of a review and linking it to the new learning so just like you would do that in, in an in-person setting it's really important to make sure that we're thinking about how we activate learning for students. I talked earlier about formative assessments and just keep in mind that checks for understanding are also very important. How are you checking? Do you have polls built in? Are you thinking about how some, some quizzes that's, or a little question here that students might respond to in the chat? How are you checking? Do you have students hold up their hands? Do you have them use a, um, one of the reactions to explain what they understand? Thumbs up, thumbs down. So just thinking about the way to check for understanding is really important. Kids could drop something in the chat. Often I've seen, and this is number three, but using guiding questions to engage students. And it could simply be, as I mentioned earlier, a poll that you do, you have a guiding question and students have to respond. It could be that you have a Google Doc and different teams of students are engaging around a specific question. And so that might be something that they, where they're collaborating um, virtually with each other. And then you're able to come back together and do some sort of review. So that's just something to kind of keep in mind. What are those guiding questions to be make sure that the students are staying on track with the demand of that standard and the, the um, true authentic learning that was intended for that lesson. Additionally, um, when we talk about this whole guiding question, another way to kind of interact with students might be you put them in breakout rooms. Now, I know that I know what you're thinking, putting kids in breakout rooms by themselves. Is that really what you want to do? But it's really important once you get it into a routine and you make sure you don't make those breakout rooms too long, it can work very effectively. I've done breakout rooms that could be as short as two minutes um, and maybe it's a really short, quick discussion. You come back, you share in the chat. That's one way to approach it. But I've also done breakout rooms where it's a little longer where students are able to engage. Maybe they have a short task that they're completing together or they're looking at completing like a little quiz and working together to kind of check each other with the answers or maybe they're engaging in a discussion. So there are lots of ways and the teacher, since you're the host of that um, breakout, of the host of that Zoom room, it might be, or it could be a, a Google Meet, but Zoom I really like because of the, the ability to do breakouts. Um, you're able to really pop in and check in on students to make sure that they're on task. You can monitor their work based on how they're doing on the Google Doc, if they're completing information as they work in their breakout room, but you can also pop into different breakout rooms as well as broadcast messages to students. So just some things to kind of think about, of what are those promising practices to consider in that setting? Additionally, um, I've seen many teachers utilize the chat to keep things really moving for students. It could be a waterfall where you ask a question and everyone types in and they um, and as they type in, they, they you see the responses roll, roll, roll down, and then you're able to call out some of the things that you're seeing. I've also seen where you um, can use the chat where you tell the students to write their answer, hold, don't send it yet, 
and then they all send it at the same time and then others get to watch and see what others were thinking. So there are a lot of different ways that you can use the chat to really support your students. And it can also be a, a very quick way for teachers to do that check for understanding to see where their students are. So as we think about the challenges in public education, I wanted to highlight for you what are those practices that may be promising, as well as what are those um, practices that can really work well in a remote learning setting. So just some things to think about. And as you, uh, if you were a teacher, I'd love to see you try these things and then go ahead and shoot me an email and let me know how it went. If you are an administrator, I would love to see you go in and visit some of those virtual classroom spaces and observe based on what you've heard. Are you seeing your teachers using some of these practices? Really, really important. So at the end goal of what I really want us to be thinking about, we know there are challenges in public education and we know there are many. We know there are many things that we need to be thinking about, but we wanna keep in front of us the end goal. At the end of the day, we want as many of our children to walk across that stage as possible. We want them ready for college careers. We want to see them thrive in their futures. We know that not all students might want to go to college. We know that some students want to pursue various careers. And we also know there are some students that wanna open their own businesses. So how are we building the skills of our students so that they're able to go whichever path is best for them so that they can thrive in their futures? So I want us to keep this in front of us as we continue with other courses together because I am absolutely optimistic that we can do so much more for our students when we begin to unpack some of the challenges they're facing and really dig into some of those practices that can make a difference. Well, I hope you enjoyed the session today. Um, uh, before you go, I wanted to share with you that um, I recently published a book leading success for diverse learners. It was amazing. And just really taking some of the learning that I've done over time as a, as a central office administrator, as a teacher, working with various teams, working on organizational development, working on building programs, and all of that learning rolled together into a story about Elena, who is a badass superintendent who's deciding to take on the challenges that are in front of her and make a difference for diverse learners. So I want you to think about it. Um, I, again, I know you can read what's on the screen, but I really know that many organizations are, are struggling. You know, they, they're facing challenges that, uh, and they're trying to figure things out. And I think sometimes what can be most frustrating is as they're working on trying to solve the problems in front of them, they feel like they're, the tools they're using just aren't as effective as they need to be. So what we do in Create Solutions is we really focus on what are those tools that can help teams solve problems more effectively, collaborate around decision making, and innovate to build the best solutions for their organization. So that's what we're focused on doing. And it was really exciting writing about Elena and her journey and I'm, I would love for you to get a copy of the book, read it, and tell me what you think. What are those nuggets that you can take away from Elena and her learning and apply to you, your organization, 
as well as your school system. So I hope to hear from you soon. So one thing as we head out, I just wanted to share with you, when you think about this, or if you are tired of fail change efforts and you really want to, uh, to see that you, when you're hitting those challenges, it's not the same ones all over again, come on, let's work to, together with you. Contact us. create solutions and we do a free consultation for and begin to do brainstorming about what might be some of the solutions that you can take on. Well, everyone, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you today and I look forward to seeing you in future courses. Take care. Visit us at createsolutions.us and let us work with you to develop diverse learners and leaders so that they can become change agents in their fields of study and industry.